Hello, 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 and welcome to the 19th episode of Mixed Media Reviews. My name is Kelsey, and today I'm going to be talking about a TV show. This week's TV show is Legend of Korra. I did buy a like foam cover and a pop filter for my mic, so hopefully that makes things sound better. <laughs> um, guess we'll find out. Let me know if you notice the difference or not. I'm not sure if I mentioned this or not, but my first exposure to The Legend of Korra was sitting in the panels at Comic-Con San Diego. It was in Ballroom 20, and they were typically in the afternoon after lunch. They dimmed the lights and put on a bunch of artwork up on the screens, and it was so soothing. My friends and I often fell asleep during it. We always felt really bad because, you know, they obviously put effort into the panels and what they were doing, but the combination of their soothing voices discussing the show and the dimmed lighting just created the perfect environment for a midday nap. Not to mention, Comic-Con is exhausting, and on those days, we typically have been in Ballroom 20 for the entire day, um, from like 10 a.m., and Comic-Con is basically just waking up early and being in lines while eating food the entire day because you sit in the same room for hours. So, oh man, that just really makes me miss it. <laughs> it's been a couple years. Um, anyway, I always tried to stay awake again because I did genuinely feel bad. So when I finally watched Avatar, I knew I'd have to watch Korra as well, so I could at least pay my respects or something. I sort of knew that the show would be set in the future, as at one point during the Avatar watch, I mentioned to my husband that it'd be really cool to see the world develop without the constant war, and he said that's basically Korra. So I knew that, uh, but I retained pretty much no other information from the panels except for the title of the show. So I was pretty blind going in, per usual, I guess. Uh, today's episode will contain some spoilers, of course, but I'll mostly stick to the first season. Um, but I, I do definitely reference some other things that happen in the other seasons. And of course, there are going to be spoilers for the pretty much entire show of the regular Avatar, so consider yourself warned. This summary is taken from Rotten Tomatoes again. The Legend of Korra is set 70 years after the events of Avatar and follows Korra, the next Avatar after Aang, who is from the Southern Water Tribe. With earth, water, and fire under her belt, Korra must master the art of air airbending. Korra's quest leads her to Republic City, a virtual melting pot where benders and non-benders live together. But she soon discovers that the land is plagued by crime and a growing anti-bending revolution that threatens to tear the city apart. While dealing with the dangers, Korra begins her airbending training under the tutelage of Aang Sun Tenzin. So, Legend of Korra was not as liked as Avatar, but honestly, I don't really see it. Avatar got a 98% audience score, but Korra only got a 78% audience score. So I'm going to start off a little differently today and discuss some of the criticisms I've heard and why I don't think that they're very valid. Then I'll talk about some things that I liked, and then I will talk about a couple criticisms that I do feel are valid, but as we will find out, <laughs> they aren't really criticisms. <laughs> the first criticism I see often is that Korra wasn't as cohesive as Avatar was. In Avatar, every season built up to the finale, 
right? Sozin's Comet and the fight against the Fire Lord. Ending the war. In Korra, there isn't one physical overarching villain. The first season's villain is not the same throughout the show. But Korra was only meant to be a miniseries of 12 episodes at first, as Nickelodeon was unsure of having a female lead and it doing well. You know, typical sexist baloney that the first show was fighting against. I guess Nickelodeon did not watch their own show. Anyway, then they expanded to 26 episodes and then on to the complete 52. So it never made sense to do the same as the original Avatar show and have one story across multiple seasons. I think this criticism is invalid for two reasons, really. One, we shouldn't base a criticism on something outside of the writer's control, which I'll explain more in a moment. And two, why would we want a show to follow the exact same formula as the one before it? So number one, basing criticism on something outside of the writer's control can sometimes be valid, but really that would be a criticism against the ones in charge of that decision rather than the show itself. It's perfectly okay to criticize Nickelodeon for their role in making the show less successful and how they chose to handle production and even in its marketing. And I think they even streamed some of those seasons instead of having an air regular or at least some of the episodes or something I read. But I don't think that's fair to say that the show wasn't as good because they should have done something completely different and out of the hands of the creators and writers, saying like, oh, the show would have been better if they had done a live-action version. That's what? (laughs) That's completely different. It's one thing to kind of judge the evolution of a character or a plot or to question a decision made by a character or dive into the motivations behind them. But to overgeneralize so much that they're trying to rewrite an entire show in a way that couldn't have been done, I don't think that can be valid. You can wish it, sure, you can even make your own fan fictions about it, but I don't think it should be used as an example of why that show is bad, or not as good, or in any way reflect how that show is then reviewed. My second point is that if this show was exactly the same as Avatar, in that we had an overarching villain for the whole show and that she's struggling to, you know, learn bending along the way, I have a very strong feeling that that would also have backlash because people would claim it's just a remake of Avatar with a girl in the lead. Because ultimately, I think a lot of these types of criticisms just stem from there being a girl in the lead, despite what the gang tried to teach us. I also see a lot of people calling Korra a Mary Sue, and if you don't know what a Mary Sue is, it's a female character that is seen as too perfect, with no flaws, and is typically like an idealized version of a person or even the author themselves. It can also be a male character, but I've also heard the term as a Gary Sue or a Marty Sue when they're male characters, but I think initially it was supposed to be a non-gendered term, but whatever. Um, also quick note, when I say that these are a lot of criticisms, I mean it's the most frequent criticisms I see, not necessarily the loudest or the overarching opinion of most people that watch the show, because I think there are plenty of people that love the show and the people who did not like it are in the minority. But anyway, so Mary Sue, they call her Mary Sue. And they call her that because she, unlike Aang, knew how to bend other elements as a child. 
but calling Korra a Mary Sue is a lazy criticism and is akin to calling Avatar The Last Airbender a sexist show because Sokka started out as a sexist character. It in no way takes into account the context of the story or the progression of the characters. Korra was capable of bending three of the four elements as a child. This is true. And it is also true that at 12 years old, Aang was only a complete master of airbending, which was incredibly remarkable for airbenders. But that fails to take into account that Aang lived among airbenders and only airbenders. He wasn't taught any of the other elements. He wasn't trained in any of the other elements. Korra was sequestered away as a child due to a failed kidnapping and was unable to leave the Southern Water Tribe, or really a specific compound, until she was 17 to learn airbending from Tenzin in Republic City. While she was a child, two other bending masters of fire and earth trained her, and as well as water, uh, trained her to help her develop those skills. She may have had some slight control over the three elements at a young age, as we see that she, that's how she kind of proves that she's the airbender, because she can she can control three elements but it was because she was then trained that she was good at controlling them again this show isn't supposed to be an exact replication of avatar why would we see another avatar struggle to learn all the elements i like that we get to see them have different levels of abilities we see kiyoshi struggle with her own element ang is proficient at his own element and then we get korra able to tap into three of the elements early on. Korra's story isn't about learning the elements to save the world. Her story is about finding her place in the world as a person and as the avatar. Which leads me to the next one, that Korra is constantly getting into fights and is very impulsive and even arrogant. But like, that's the point? (laughs) Not only is Korra smack dab in the middle of being a teenager, She also grew up incredibly isolated and very aware of her avatarhood. She was trained by masters of their respective elements and guarded at all times. Of course she's not going to understand how the world works. Of course being somewhere like Republic City is going to be a huge deal to her, and overwhelming even. And of course she's going to just think she can tell people she's the avatar to get her way. Because of course! She was treated differently since she was a child by everyone she knew. And again, this is what her journey is about. This is what the show is about. It's not about learning the elements. We've already seen that. That's why it's done off screen. It's about discovering who she is in the world of Avatar. And here's a spoiler. But this is the real villain that she faces in each season and throughout the show. When she gets stripped of her bending abilities, she must then relearn who she is without those abilities. When she gets cut off from her past lives, she must then relearn who she is without them. She is constantly making huge decisions as a 17-year-old girl who has only ever lived in one place for the majority of her life, sheltered from the outside world. This show isn't about saving the world necessarily, like with Aang but it's about how an avatar can exist in a world, can make world-altering decisions for that world, like keeping the spirit portals open, and can still find out who they are and how they can be in that role while constantly trying to relearn themselves. We're not remaking Avatar. We don't need her to have the same struggles that Aang did. 
We've seen those struggles. We've read about some of those struggles, right? Kyoshi was also not about just learning all the elements, although it was a little bit about that. It was also her trying to figure out how she could be the avatar, right? I mean, that's kind of an element to all of them. But Korra's is different. It, her journey is a different journey than Aang's, which is a different journey from Kyoshi's, which is a different journey from any of the other past avatars that we have seen. Because they're different people. <laughs> Alright, now let me, let me move on and just talk about some things that I liked. Um, I really did love the entire cast. I couldn't believe how many of them I actually knew and weren't just like voice actors, like is typical for an animated show. It actually really surprised me. <laughs> J.K. Simmons, Aubrey Plaza, David Faustino, Kiernan Shipka, John Michael Higgins, Maria Bamford, James Ramar, Stephen Yun, Daniel Day Kim. I mean, the list literally goes on and I could still be naming names of people that I recognized. Probably one of my favorite things was seeing how much technology advanced while war was no longer a threat. We get to see them use their time and their money to build advancements instead of constantly defending themselves from invasion. Their bending skills can be used for improvements and for frivolous things like art instead of just how can we defend ourselves. And I really liked seeing how the world became a bit more mixed because of that. Of course, nations were still mostly themselves, but the creation of Republic City was such a natural progression that I think people can live together without the fear of war, without the fear of choosing sides. The bending was also really great. I love seeing that some of the bending was able to evolve and become more commonplace, like metal bending. It was very interesting to kind of see all these different subcategories pop up and become more commonplace than what was previously thought, or even in metal bending's case, was completely unknown before. Lava bending also made an appearance, which was pretty cool. I thought all of the characters were really great. I think where the old gang ended up, um, for the most part, made a lot of sense. Like with Toph living out in the wilderness. And Korra and her group, do they have a nickname? Like the Avatar gang? I don't know. But I like their dynamic, and I think it makes sense that we get more of a romantic storyline uh, with this show and these characters, considering they're teenagers and not you know, preteens. I think it definitely has a lot of criticism there too, that they had, you know, the love triangles and whatever, but I thought it makes sense because they're teenagers again. <laughs> of course, there's more in this story. I think Amon was a really great first villain and he made so much sense. I think that was a very... I don't know, organic villain to pop up. I mean, it makes sense that, you know, once there's harmony and stuff, that the non-benders are going to start believing that they're oppressed and that they have to start fighting back and that that's kind of the first, I guess, villain that we come across is not really like anybody who's, you know, this evil overarching, I have this super plan, but it's kind of a morally gray character who you can kind of see both sides to, but maybe question the methods. And I think, uh, I think they did that really well. 
And honestly, I like that we see new problems each season, and it wasn't just one guy or gal the whole time. I liked seeing snippets and the way that each time kind of brought about new problems and new issues. Um, like, we see how Cora reacts to different situations because, again, that's her journey is figuring out who she is, so it makes more sense that we have different things coming at her from different sides. I also really liked that Cora was by. I liked Naga. I liked seeing the adult gang pop in every now and then. I liked getting to know Tenzin. I liked Jinora being Aang's legacy. I liked finding out about the first Avatar, Avatar 1, and I, <laughs> I loved Varric. Um, and I loved so many other things. There's, I can keep going, but uh, this is getting a little bit long, so we'll just wrap it up there. While I don't think that the show deserves most of the hate that it gets, I will concede that Korra wasn't as solid of a show as Avatar was um, in terms of really linear and easily, easily identifiable character arcs and like morals and lessons learned, but I also think that they're both different shows, so comparing them exactly isn't really helpful to anyone, and I think that that's the point of Korra, isn't, again, not supposed to be the same as Avatar, but it's supposed to be different. It's not supposed to necessarily have that kind of black and white as we've seen previously. It's supposed to be more gray, which why I th is why I think Amon was such a great villain choice, was because he lived in that gray, and that's kind of what her journey is about living more in that gray. I think my biggest criticism isn't really a criticism, but something I'm just sad about. <laughs> well, maybe both of the things I have to say are more just about me being sad. The first is that I kind of, and this is again a huge spoiler, I kind of dislike that Korra is completely cut off permanently from the past lives. And maybe it's not even that I don't like it. Maybe it's just that I want more information about it. Obviously she's still connected to Rava, but it's so sad that she no longer has that connection to her past selves. And I think that's actually probably a lot of the hate that this show gets, or that people are upset that that connection is lost. And I think that's kind of like when a show kills off a character that's like a favorite. Like, yeah, maybe that needed to happen and life, you know, isn't always perfect. So when that happens, it's really a surprise and whatever, but I don't have to love that it happened. I hope that it is explored more and then we see more of what that means to future avatars to not have that connection anymore, how that makes her fight differently without that knowledge and skill passed from the avatar to avatar. But I haven't really heard anyone talk about it, so I'm not sure if they have or not. I tried looking for stuff, but it doesn't seem like it's popped up in comics, so maybe in future projects we can see if there's another Avatar show, you know, around the next Avatar, or a comic that's around the next Avatar, maybe we can find out more information about that. Because it would be cool if she could slowly get some of them back over time, but again, I suppose it is what it is, and I'm mostly just sad about it. I'm also a little bit sad that Aang isn't the best father, though understandable that he may be a, more, a bit more absent, being the Avatar. It seemed more than that. It wasn't just his, you know, him off saving and being a peacekeeper and whatever. It seemed to be he kind of also favored 
Tenzin, and I don't know. I mean, I get that we don't always stay the same as we did when we were young, and sometimes things change. Sometimes our young selves wouldn't be proud of who we become, and that can be true even for the Avatar, and maybe that's the point, is that even though he was the Avatar and we did see this innocent boy who seemed to be, you know, pure good, that doesn't always mean that you grow up to be that same version. It just made me a little sad, you know? I mean, I think Toph makes sense that she wasn't a great mom <laughs> because she did not seem to be very, you know, she wasn't that affectionate, caring person. She was definitely more independent and distant kind of a person. So I think that makes sense. But with Aang, it was a little, a little sad. I don't know if these are real like real critiques or not. They're probably not. They're definitely not. But that's really all I have to say about that. I definitely recommend Legend of Korra. I think it still holds up and I think it does a really good job as a sort of sequel to a show that had such a huge following. I, I think that's really hard to do to produce something that people will be like, that's as great as the original. It's kind of like when a new album comes out from a band and you're like, it's not the same, but really it's because the first album has a bit more nostalgia to it. So you connect the nostalgic feelings with the album. So even if the second album is just as good, it doesn't feel just as good. You know, does that make sense? I don't know. But of course, I'm still excited about the live action and I've heard that there may be also some animated Avatar coming up and some movies from the Avatar production company. Although that's supposedly like forever in the future, so I guess we'll see how that goes and we'll just keep checking in to that universe. And there you have it. Those are my thoughts on The Legend of Korra. Thank you so much for joining me. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Mixed Media Reviews Podcast, and you can also find me anywhere you find your podcasts. Probably. Please join me next week where I will be reviewing a movie. Uh, I'm not sure yet. <laughs> But I think I want to do Palm Springs because nobody really talks about it. But I freaking loved that movie. All right. Have a wonderful rest of the day. Bye.